We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Hamburgers, the cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. What's the deal with airplane food? I'm Julia Child. Bon appetit. This is the Truth Ron Rib Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the second part of our Dark Ages episodes. Last time, we covered the dawn of Christianity, and it spread through Europe with Emperor Charlemagne, his influence, and his death. Today, we're going to be covering the second part, which was the Age of the Viking, which followed closely after Charlemagne's death, which was extremely pivotal to the world we know today. I'm joined, as always, by shield maiden Dana Stormborn, first of her name, breaker of plates, and ruiner of audio. How we doing out there tonight? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Hell yeah. Dana, brief summary, how much do you know about the Vikings and recount their history? What would you come up with? Um, Typical rape, pillage, plunder with the helmets with upturned horns. Um, but I do know a little bit more in extent to that. The fact that they were very nomadic. They actually traversed very far and long distances. Um, I also know that women had a bit of a more woke perspective and um, had a bigger role in their society than women did um, throughout a lot of history, especially at that time. I will point out that the upturned horn thing is total bullshit. Never wore anything like that. No? No, way too dangerous to wear something with horns. Then where did that come from? It was pretty much just a media thing, like, happened in some representation of Vikings and just kind of stuck. Oh. There could have been a point in history where it was like a ceremonial helmet, and they kind of just took it from there, but, you know, never something you'd actually wear in the battle. Interesting. And then, I mean, we all know, you know, like, how to train your dragon, the fact that there were dragons that people rode. You know, not trolling, because that's real. Yeah, that, that's what the Vikings did. Um, but those dragons were just wooden boats. Yeah. With giant wooden dragon faces. Well, yeah, uh, hit it on the head, though, with that, minus the helmet thing. The Vikings were widely known as fierce barbaric raiders, but, you know, very small glimpse of the actual civilization known as the Norse. Um... They were actually accomplished warriors, too, though, because their campaign of conquering and influence would start and end from 800 AD to 1100 AD. And in that uh, small amount of time in reference to the world's timescale, they actually accomplished a hefty amount. Uh, And up until recently, we only knew Vikings for their bloodthirsty warriors, where in reality, they were actually much more than that. And while they might have plundered, raped, and burned villages, taken slaves, on the whole, they'd leave a positive impact farther down the road. Most of the Norse were actually accomplished merchant traders, explorers, and settlers. So much so that their explorers were amongst the first Europeans to discover a swath of lands once thought to be the edges of the map. Many of of these discovered lands are what are now present-day Iceland, Greenland, Newfoundland, Canada, and parts of the Atlantic coast of the USA. And the, uh, the parts that were settled in Canada, like specifically Newfoundland, were called Vinland, 
And during some excavations, they actually found uh, old, like, Norse blacksmiths, like, whole towns and everything. It was pretty cool. And the reason that it was called that was because everything was covered in, like, vines and ivy and things. So it was very green and luscious. Well, there is also their merchants, which were responsible for creating an extensive trade network, which would span half of the world, if not farther. And to back this up, there are actually historical records that were discovered in 1872 by Scandinavian archaeologist Hjalmar Stolp. This details the trades that were arranged between the Norse and countries and empires like China, India, the Byzantines, the Middle East, the United Kingdoms, Italy, and more. And these records actually were found in the 1100 burial mounds that Kalmar excavated over 20 years, as well as the coin hoards that he found that date back to the 9th century at least. There's something you said to me recently that will probably stick in my brain forever, so I need to share it with others. What's that? What was it the only difference between grave robbing and um, and archaeology is... Time. Time. And if all of the family members of that person are deceased. Yeah. All so of that... their... Yeah, all of their living family members. That, that it's a funny thing, and people think that that's a joke, but that is literally the key difference between grave robbing and archaeology, because uh, after some time, you can actually go to your local graveyard. If no next of kin exists, dig up the body. And I mean, you'll probably still get in trouble because people won't see it this way, but technicality and with a good lawyer, you'll get off with archaeology. Pretty sure you have to be an archaeologist to get away with that, but yeah. Yeah. And you'd have to prove kind of why you're digging that grave up, too, and not just mindlessly grave robbing. Yeah. But yeah, that's the only difference. So anytime people talk about archaeology now, I'm just like, mm-hmm. this It's like comedy is time plus tragedy. Yeah, it's essentially yeah. the same thing. Um, thanks to the network, though, that the uh, Norse set up and how they actually conducted their trade, it would actually forever alter the way the world used commerce and trade. And it is more or less the same model we use today, despite all of our technological advances. Most of Europe was used to a barter system of prestigious goods and fringes of commerce in larger cities. But that quickly became abolished once the Vikings showed up, because they would replace it with their own mercantile market system. And that would play a very important role for all of Europe after the Vikings' disappearance. When the Vikings arrived in southern England, they actually plundered the area for metals of wealth and would swiftly melt them down and turn them into decorative symbols of status. This uh, practice would be the kickstart and development of colonies and raided areas turning into market towns, and the introduction of minted wealth currencies, these leading to the creation of what is now the world market. So we can thank Vikings for for money and cap, like early capitalism, basically. Essentially, but, for but such with, a savage civilization, they were very smart and ahead of their time, it seems. Very, very savvy, and they understood that, you know, there was... But the thing is, those those pieces of metal 
like that money at that time was actually valuable and you could melt it down to other things and make it into other things whereas like paper currency now is almost null and void and like yeah we have loonies that look like gold coins but how much gold is actually in a loony, if any there isn't any there you go um, there's none yeah no it's a different metal compound that like my ring is uh, beryllium or something like that when it's oxidized it looks like gold i doubt there's beryllium in a loony but it's some substance like that that when mixed with oxygen and oxidizes it has a precious metal sheen to it and looks more mm -hmm. valuable than it really is otherwise it would be way too expensive if there was any trace of gold yeah to that sell wouldn't for be worth dollar. that would be worth a dollar and I'm not sure I'd have to look into this, and I'm not going to say it is absolute fact, but I could believe that this wasn't, like, the start of it, but, like, the idea of the gold standard might have started here, and someone had a deeper look into it and realized the overwhelming value of gold. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe we'll uh, look a little bit more into that. Yeah. Well, to say that the Vikings weren't a militant culture would be a fallacy in itself as well. Because they weren't completely barbarous as they're made out to be, but they were also very fearsome and very, very, like, big, like, forces to be reckoned with. And the reason they were so successful in their conquest was because they were an excellent seafaring nation. The first recorded event of Vikings ever making landfall occurred on a northeastern English isle known as Lindisfarne Island. And the record says that long ships adorned with monstrous faces had figures disembarked, clad in leather, and uh, they looked very uh, strange to them because they hadn't seen people with uh, long braided hair, like f fuzzy red beards and everything. This was all new to them. So it sounds like bikers and boats. Yeah, it was bikers and boats. Uh, it was the uh, Valhalla's Angels. Or the Valhalla's Valkyries. <laughs> if there isn't a uh, Scandinavian biker group called the Valhalla's Angels, I'll be a little upset. But at the same time, don't be the Valhalla's Angels because that's just lame. You should be the Valhalla's Valkyries. Hell yeah. But yeah. Um, it was unfortunate for this uh, English uh, town as the Norse would loot and destroy the only Christian monastery on the island. And from there it would start their 50 year uh, raiding uh, campaign as well. And they would raid so fervorously and often that the Norse soon controlled the Atlantic Ocean with no opposition or hostile threats to stop their crossings. And they were actually able to take control of Ireland, Scotland, parts of England, and by 18 34 AD would move on to mainland Europe. And around 834, the Vikings would also wrest control of Dorsted from the Carolingian Empire. As you may recall, the Carolingian Empire was the Frank Empire, which was under Charlemagne's rule. And as we stated in the beginning of the episode and last episode, that after Charlemagne's death, his empire was disbanded spread amongst his relatives who were not nearly as capable of him as he was of running an empire. So this basically allowed the Vikings just to swoop in and take over Dorstead with ease. 
and Dorstead was actually a large, large con- like uh, population of land. It consisted of Hamburg, Rouen, Paris, Nantes, and Bordeaux, which, if you know anything about geography, is uh, pretty widespread. That's the like quite a bit of France. Quite a bit of France, a little bit of um, what is now Luxembourg and parts of Germany as well. Jaw. By 911 AD, the Norse brought about the fall of Charlemagne's empire and his legacy. And during their occupation of Dorstead as well, they organized raids on Russia during the 850s and 860s. And it, it was actually during these invasions that they founded what is now Novograd and Kiev. So that's also something to think of, is they're setting up all of these towns and cities and places that still exist today, so... Like, their influence is uh, still felt, even centuries later. That's how prominent and influential those areas were, I guess, that uh, they just continued and continued to prosper over time. Well, they would hold and, like, keep their colonies alive so well that even though, like, the, the Norse disappeared, like, the colonies would still flourish even without party, raiding parties coming by to resupply and restock. And they kind of forgot and gave up on that ideal, but, you know, still had all of the technology and the savviness of their ancestors, so they were able to flourish pretty well. Because they... Bikers in boats! Bikers in boats. Bad bitches doing bad shit. Thanks to them and their establishment of Kiev, they actually... Um, have a group that is referred to as the Druzina, as the, like, that's what the Russians refer to them as, and they were actually a group of bodyguards loyal to their king, who was a Slavic king in rule, and would stay in power in Kiev, and eventually come to the aid of Byzantine later on, which is funny, because the Vikings would also invade the Byzantine Empire at the same time, most famously Constantinople. And, uh, Constantinople? Constantinople. I always have trouble with that one. It's like, I want to say Constantine, and then uh, as soon as I hit the teen and an opal, it's like, is it Constantinople, or is it Constantine Opal? It just sounds stupid both Constantinople. ways. Mm-hmm. Constantinople. Constantinople. Yeah, it's Constantinople. Also, you're saying Byzantine wrong. Byzantine, Byzantine. It's the same. Tomato, tomato, potato, potato. Fair enough. Yeah, it's Constantinople. It's just semantics at that point. Well, yeah, but you're you you stumbled on Constantinople. Yeah, you you said that one with a question because you wanted me to correct you, and I'm just on you. Know, it's Constantinople. Well, for two hundred years, each new Scandinavian chieftain would see the invasion of uh, the Byzantine Empire as a rite of passage. And the repeated succession of these invasions eventually led to Basil II, emperor of the Byzantines, to call upon the aid of Vladimir of Kiev, grand prince of Nordic descent. And uh, Vladimir sent 6,000 of the Druzina to repel the Viking invaders, which was a massive success for them. But it's like ancestor- or, uh, Vikings fighting Vikings without them like truly realizing it, like that they're brothers in arms, so to speak. But... Not more so like, much either. Cause more the, like cousins in arms. Yeah, the Druzina still had uh, allegiance to Russia. 
Interesting. So their allegiance to Russia was the allegiance to the Vikings because that's where... Is that really where Russian markets, like, well, the Russian hubs really began? Like, were there already villages there or was it Oh, yeah, no, like, Russia was... uh... Much like Canada and stuff, they had Aboriginal people founding their lands first, and it's not like the white people moved in and took over. There was also white people. There was also Mongolians and whatnot living on the fringes of Russia. Like as you know, well, Russia's the fucking span enormous. of Russia touches a lot of countries. It has eleven time zones. It's like the creepy uncle that no one talks about. It touches all the things. Um. It's always wearing an Adidas tracksuit, <laughs> squatting in a corner, taking shots of uh, vodka. Now you're just talking about Kanye. I don't know if he does that. I don't care about Kanye. <laughs> well, um, after the repel, like repulsion of the Vikings, they set their sights on other things. And in 1066, the Vikings helped Normandy regain control of England as Normandy would... Uh, you know, continue to try and take over all of England, which wouldn't end well for them. They managed to take back some parts, but not all of it, as well as Normandy set its sights as well on Italy, and the Vikings also came in for the assist to help take control of Sicily, which uh, is a feat in and of itself. Like, there's a lot going on in Italy. You've got the Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire as well, like... It's a lot of contenders to go up against, and yet Jewish people, they, like they still manage to take a good, uh, good portion of Italy from them. Bad asses. But well, it's because they. I feel like the Nords were, and correct me if I'm wrong, very large people. Um. I mean, that or is one, that just a stereotype? It is and it isn't. Because if you've seen a lot of like, like you look at any Swedish Olympic team or their models or things like that, they're all really tall, lanky people. And like, we have it's a not Dutch just, friend who is enormous. Yeah, like the Dutch and the Danes and everything, they kind of share a little bit. And like, people will be like, no, you're wrong. And it's like, well, yes and no. But yeah, you'll see that they're all tall and blonde and like they're not fat and they're not like exactly stocky, but they're big and they're not lean either. So, well, what is the amount of like the the percentage of people who are related to Genghis Khan? I don't remember it off heart, but uh, but it's a weird like a high amount. I think the estimation is like over 60% of the people have some seven degrees of separation from Genghis Khan, so to speak. Yeah, so it's not out of the realm to believe that people who, you know, there was a huge influx and a major um, influence and prominent, like the, the Vikings were prominent in those areas. It's not out of the realm to believe that they had a genetic impact on the area as well. No, absolutely. Like, they did the same thing Genghis Khan did. They raped from here to Timbuktu, basically. So, you know, 
There has managed to be some Viking and Genghis Khan swimmers in the gene pool. But yeah, you know. It the good times weren't going to last forever though for the Vikings as the their good newest times could not continue to roll. Yes, they would not continue to roll. The uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll would eventually turn into two dogs, a wife, some kids, and a stable job somewhere in the countryside. Um, I know we're not married, but just spill some more tea. But, uh, yeah. After their newest Viking king in the late 1100s, I'm not entirely sure how to say this name. I like it's a strange one for uh, Scandinavian names, but it's Kanate, C A N A T E, or Kanat. I'm going to say Kanate because it sounds very flamboyant and rolls off the tongue. Kanate. It also sounds like an insult you'd say in like Italian, like, eh, Kanate. Kanate. Go fuck yourself. But yeah, he uh, eventually would establish a new Scandinavian empire, and the Vikings would fade into the history textbooks after this. So, given their short time frame, it is impressive that the, uh, the Nords were able to subjugate most of the United Kingdom, parts of eastern North America, Russia, Italy, and Spain. Just going everywhere, spreading they seed and sowing all those wild oatses. Apparently, Carmen Sandiego was actually a Nordic bitch doing Nordic shit. Where in the world is that bitch? Well, um, now we're going to move on to their merchant side of things. Well, actually, no, we're not. Um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about technology, which was uh, extremely important to them as well, because they were some of the first to discover quite a bit actually um the housing infrastructure we have today also thanks to the vikings because before like it wasn't shanty towns it was just poorly constructed houses that weren't really holding up against the elements the vikings were some of the first to discover that um if you char the wood that you build your house with first and then cover it in resin it's actually a form of weatherproofing your house so the water like from their sea like, the sea spray air won't destroy their houses in a year's time and rot the wood. And these resins or, or could be found naturally. So we looked this up one time. Um, the reason that, like, barns, for example, have that red color is because they would treat the... Uh, the wood with I can't remember what was it, it started with they an L. Treated it with linseed oil, which linseed gave it oil. that barn red color. It was a little more orange red than red, but that's why we have the traditional red barns now. Yeah, so they would use they would treat the wood that they were using with some other similar substance that was they figured out was waterproof or water. Yeah. Yeah, most of the resin was actually just sap from the trees that they chopped down, and they learned that they could heat it up and apply it to the wood, and it'd almost be like a varnish. That would work really well, and it would also smell really good. Yeah, I imagine that's another bonus, but 
on like to the next point about their housing structures as well um they were the ones that discovered having tall timber beams basically and joists and eases and all of that like the triangle support roof you see that was kind of their their thing and they would bring it with them to their colonies and eventually european societies would also adopt that type of construction and it help, holds up really well cuz they're still finding like abandoned viking villages all over scandinavia still from hundreds and hundreds of years ago and buildings like look a little weather worn but they're still standing there's one in uh there's a viking settlement in newfoundland and i believe it's a unesco heritage site and i've been dying to go to it it's one of the places that uh um on my list of places to go I mean, I'm down. It's it's on the home country, like, it's on home soil, so we just have to drive, like, a thousand kilometers to get there. More. Two thousand. Mm-hmm. We have to cross, like, five provinces, six provinces. Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, and then... I'm New not Brunswick. Sure. And then uh, you go across a bridge into Newfoundland. But yeah, it's called... Is Nova Scotia in the way, or is that an island? I forget. Uh, that's further south. Oh, okay. Yeah, you I always ne- start mixing up the maritimes. Yeah, there's Newfoundland and Labrador, Nova Scotia, um, New Brunswick, and... Oh my god. Smallest one, come on. Newfoundland Labrador. Prince Edward Island. P.I. Um, but yeah, it's called uh, L'Année au Medio uh, National Historic Site, and it's in Newfoundland and Labrador. And yep, it is a UNESCO heritage site, and it is the only authenticated Norse site in North America. Hell yeah. Well, yeah, we should definitely go check that out. And if, if we end up going there and people are interested, do like a little uh kind of like a vlog, like a live viewing kind of thing and just be like, "Check mm-hmm. it out." Yeah, but I've always wanted to go here. It uh looks beautiful. Well, um not only uh were their houses awesome, their ships were awesome and were the things that would give way to other colonies and civilizations copying what they've done and eventually give way to the nautical age and allow for colonialism and globalization. So it's like, yay, colonialism, slave trade, boo. Well, slaves definitely existed then, but they weren't traded until the Vikings. I mean, like, they were traded, just not as widespread. We didn't sail from North America to Africa to get get some uh, slaves and then sail back and trade them and all of that the uh vikings would take slaves and would trade them to other viking colonies so it was kind of intrapersonal that's within the community right is intra and inter is like with others yeah yeah so they would trade amongst themselves kind of thing and it was more just like, oh, we picked up some more laborers, and eventually, like, 
not all slaves would get integrated into their society and eventually treated like equals, but a good chunk of them were basically just colonists at some point. They'd be like, great, you're going to be our new wave of settlers, and we're just going to send you out to start another Norse colony. So have fun. So like the French did when they wanted um, Louisiana populated, they offered criminals the opportunity, not even just criminals, they offered men and male criminals the opportunity to marry prostitutes and then get paid to go to Louisiana and settle. All I'm hearing is wins. So you're, <laughs> you're going to some awesome land where the creation of Creole cooking and Cajun came from. You're married to a woman who you know is going to put out. Um, like, I'm just seeing nonstop wins. Maybe the uh, negative is you're in hurricane country, but we can look past that. Cause, you uh, know, also making it across the ocean. And you don't know what she's going to put out. Just because she got paid to do it doesn't mean she's going to do it for free now, Beach. No, I never said she's going to do it for free. I'm just saying you know she puts out. Well. At least she knows what she knows what she... At least she knows what she's doing. Exactly. You're, you're in I the think that's the point you're getting at. Right now. I think that's the point you're getting at. Not that she'll put out, but she at least knows what the fuck she's doing. Hey, man. These criminals could be some lame, like, lame-ass criminals, like, got put in jail for stealing a loaf of bread. Ja. You know. Oh, way off topic now. Sorry. Um, <laughs> The knowledge as well of metal crafting, crafting was something that would also lead to jewel crafting and goldsmithing because, as we all know, Norse people love to make their weapons, armor, and other things speckled with gold and, like, just, uh, just Fancy whack dancy. with uh, intricate patterns. As you've seen in all the Celtic and Norse knots and all of that, like, it is just... in. It just gets insane with the uh, not work stuff that is really ingrained in their society. Um, aside from technology as well, uh, is also their culture that kind of has bled into everything. And most, like, most notably is paganism, which was brought to a good chunk of Europe because of their conquest. And this can be observed from special feast holidays like Yule and Maybon. The world's beloved Christmas tree, adorned with ornaments and tinsel, actually began with Vikings as well, as they would chop down ash trees and dress them up as a homage to Yggdrasil, the world tree. And it was also a way of bringing um, the spirit, the... the um... The forest spirits into the home to protect them. I'm not too versed on the paganism, like all aspects of paganism and where like it stopped being like the original Viking paganism. Like the Norse and thing of... and, and turned more into paganism, like just paganism and became like Saturnalia as opposed to what Maybon. did you call it? Maybon. Um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure where it start, starts and stops, but, like, they definitely did believe in stuff like that. They they were a polytheistic uh, culture. They definitely thought there were many gods. 
So uh, were they can... were the Vikings also ones to believe in like Odin and um and um oh my god Thor and like Loki and like those gods? Yeah. So um because of them that's why we have some of our days of the week. So Thursday is Thor's day. Friday is Frey's day, so Frey is the brother of Freya. And then Sunday is technically Odin's day. Uh, actually, no, scratch that. It's Wednesday that's Odin's day because he's also known as Woden and Wu-Tan. So Wu-Tan is not for the kids. Yeah. Wu-Tang so. is for the kids. Uh, getting back to Yggdrasil as well, um, for those who don't know about the World Tree, I imagine most people do, it's a, it's a huge uh, symbol and, like, brought up in pop culture all the time, and, like, it's hard not to hear about it, but uh, it's an immense ash tree, ash tree, not ass tree, it's an immense ass tree, like, it is an immense ass tree, but it's an ash tree. <laughs> That provides the framework for the cosmos and the nine realms, believed to be a divine and life-giving tree. And also an immense ass tree. Yeah, that just, that helps. The fact that it's an immense ass ash tree. Yeah. Well, all this culture... Say that ten times fast. Immense ass ash tree? Yeah. I feel like I could do it. Do it. It's like you're a stellar storyteller. You say that ten times fast. I still feel like I could do that as well. Yeah, I didn't mean to do that. That was just a fuck up. <laughs> I stand by that. I really didn't mean to do that. It just came out that way, and I was like, oh, that was cool, but I definitely fucked it up, even if I wasn't trying to do it. All this culture, tech, and art and the most important part of this episode, while it's not taking up as much time as the history lesson, is the food. And the agricultural practices of the Vikings, which led to their overwhelming success, and also the successes of Europeans later on. Tell us what they did, Tiernan. I'm about to hit you with some knowledge, fool. Like all other farming cultures, the Vikings subsisted off of cereal grains. Obviously, oh, damn, because that's a shock. Yeah, that's a shock. It's going to be a reoccurring theme. <laughs> For quite a while. It, if okay. bread wasn't such a good idea, it wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. We still wouldn't be stuffing our faces with it. And like mm, the thought of fresh cooking, like having bread in the oven, you can smell it. Mm, mm, mm. We wouldn't mm. say, let's get this bread. We've already made those jokes. We made those jokes in the bread one. Anyways, moving oh, on. No, I'm just saying. Like, we, we wouldn't say let's get this bread if it didn't mean something. Can, can you? Oh. Maybe not. I was going to say, can you make bread for Thanksgiving? But maybe not. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Well, uh, the cereal grains they brought were actually hardier strains of rye, barley, and emmer wheat that uh, could endure the cold Arctic chill of winter. So, you know, they could actually have crops growing all times of the uh, year and not, you know, starve to death. On top of the grains they brought as well, the Vikings would also bring nuts and berries native to their islands, as well as fish, cattle, goats, sheep, pigs, horses, and eggs. And 
one thing I found in my research is the fe- like when they were first starting a colony, like not even raiding a village, like maybe just setting up on an island somewhere, they'd cross oceans and seas with cattle and pigs and horses in their ships. So aside from having to solve the problem of feeding themselves, they now had to feed large, like, 500-pound animals. And, you know, those motherfuckers eat a lot, so. Also, could you imagine a cow scuttling around a wooden ship in, like, rough, rough seas? Yeah, like, I'm not sure how they kept uh, everything under control. Oh, Maybe they, they probably just had kept like them a... in stables in, in like, underbell in the underparts. I, most of the long ships didn't have underbellies. They basically built little tents over the tops of their, uh, like, long ships during the nights and during inclement weather, basically. Well, they probably still had, like, like cages set up so that they were, like, penned to a certain area. Oh, probably that, or they and just, then just found a way to leash them to the like deck of the ship somehow. But still, yeah, just the tenacity of wanting to expand is pretty much what fueled their everything. Basically, having giant ass animals on their very small ships, as well as you know, going to find new lands. Off off topic again, but, you know, it's always interesting to hear stuff like that. Uh, but a strain of questions that come up time and time again concerning the Vikings and their sea travel was, how could they take such long voyages and not die? Whether it would be scurvy killing them, or they don't have all the food they need, or, you know, dying of thirst, because you can't drink seawater, and water runs out faster than you think when you're you know, trying to travel somewhere. So how did they mitigate these very important these very important pieces of survival? Um, well, they overcame scurvy by eating semi-raw fish meat and their organs to keep their bodies full of necessary vitamins that would combat the scurvy and keep their keep them healthy, full of vitamin C and all that. So I know a bunch of people are going to be like, how did they know that it did that? They didn't. If uh, you're, but the, the, here, hang on, hear me out. If you're hungry enough, you will eat anything. And once you eat it, your body knows what minerals are in it. So if you are craving something, it's not that your body is craving that food in specific. It's because your body is craving the min- like a specific mineral within that food. So I, for myself, am anemic, and every time I get my period, my menstrual cycle, I crave beef like there's nobody's business because it's full of iron, and like I will literally go, like I've said this to Tiernan so many times, I will go bite a cow because I need, the, like, I need meat, I need iron, and, but that's, my body just associates, like, steak with iron so um they realized that you know if they ate this it sated that that shitty feeling in their body that was missing that mineral and then when their body would be missing that mineral it would specifically crave that food so that's why they would eat that fish 
Yeah. Well, and that's how that works. They weren't the only ones to do that. Uh, there's also historical records of the Inuit hunting down seals and other animals and consuming their livers to uh, keep themselves dosed with a good amount of vitamin D. Also, fun fact, if you ever have the chance to, I don't know why you would or how you'd manage to, but if you hunt a polar bear and manage to kill it and gut it, don't eat its liver. There's enough vitamin D in it to kill you, even if you eat one small bite. Was it vitamin D or vitamin A? It's vitamin D. Okay, because I saw that somewhere the other day and, yeah. Yeah, polar bear livers be deadly as hell, because you'll pretty much consume 9,000 times your daily intake of vitamin D in one bite. In one bite? In one bite. Because uh, they need so much because of the long, like, winter months where the sun don't shine. Also, their skin is black. Yeah, their skin is black. Their hair is uh, actually translucent. Yep. Polar bears be weird, man. I just wouldn't want to come across one ever. It just looks white because, like, their fur looks it, white because it it's reflecting the, the snow. Yeah. Yeah, it's reflecting. They're reflecting the snow. And then their coats are and then their coats are black um, to absorb the uh, the sun. Keep your shit as warm as possible. Cha. I mean, it's fucking cold here. I can only imagine. I've never been... Um, I mean, I've been pretty far north, but I've never been, like, up into the north, like, the territories. Yeah, no, I haven't been anywhere near the Arctic Circle. Oh, you don't even need to be near the Arctic Circle to just... You can just be in the territories, and you're still, like hundreds of kilometers away from the arctic circle oh i know that's still fucking freezing up there i mean it's freezing here right now yes it is it's not it's five degrees but (laughs) well i mean yesterday it was 24 degrees so like that's a massive change um getting back to the i was gonna say we're super off topic again yes we are we get off topic all the time but that's because we have little factoids that are interesting and we love sharing them um, to avoid the dehydration the uh, and, like, the starving, the Vikings would actually make frequent pit stops at all of their colonies they started to resupply and restock. And, um, like, it was very key to them making their voyages. So they kind of just set up intermittent colonies all the way down past that they plan to take in the future. So there was always a place for them to stop, rest, and just be fresh for their uh, next leg of the journey. And so then, instead of burning out and dying and flipping your boat, they actually had the opportunity to stop at areas, and they were like their own little rest stops, their own yeah. little pit stops, pit stop areas. They would plan their most treacherous journey and have most of their supplies eaten up for that, and then they would pretty much sail shallow waters until they were ready to make another treacherous deep sea journey again. Hmm. Smart. As well as if they couldn't make these stops, they learned some uh, food preservation techniques, which we're all very, uh, very privy to. They uh, learned how to pickle, freeze dry, and smoke their meats and stuff. So that led to everything lasting longer. So they'd have this tough, nasty, like fish jerky, but you know, when you're hungry, you're hungry, and this fish jerky is. Full of uh, everything you need. 
as we've learned, people will literally eat each other to uh to survive. Well, um I won't say they're the amongst the first, but because of where they lived, they were some of like historically too, like it's been recorded on record and this is why I say I don't want to say they're the first. And I can't prove they are, but like we have historical evidence that kind of points that they were some of like the first civilizations to try this out was uh freeze drying um and i'm assuming the inuit kind of figured this out too but it was because of it was the... never documented yeah, yeah like a lot of the inuit history i would say is kind of lost not because um they didn't have record of it but you know the white was... man came and kind of destroyed their way of life and their culture and a lot of their uh history kind of got lost with that uh occupation um i feel like it was just never written down it was passed down through story yeah it was storytelling but yeah. that's the thing the integration and like if you you know follow your culture you'll get beaten and killed and all the residential schools and things like that yeah absolutely but those yeah. techniques and practices do still very much exist yes they do but um so what they would do is they would have meat and fish and all of that and they'd butcher them up and hang them from racks to dry like jerky but because of the cold arctic climate that they lived in and the fact that they're on an island so there's constantly salt water in the air uh it actually would preserve it and salt it and then the f cold temperatures would dry it out and freeze it basically so like i said you'd have this cold hard chunk of fish but it was completely cooked so to speak safe to eat Mm -hmm. so like that was their main way of preserving their food because easy man you just go out you do your shit for the day you come back meat's meat's all good 12 hours later it's it's jerky which is amazing that they were and were still able to do things like that with just by basically cutting meat into really thin slices and hanging it out to dry and then it all of a sudden becomes safe to eat and i don't know it's so cool yeah and thanks to this technique little factoid uh it allowed the uh, vikings to introduce arctic cod to europe Yum. germany especially they went gaga for arctic cod so talk about the pickling uh yeah i was getting to that um they uh, also brined and pickled their food as well. So what they would do is they would take salt water because it's in massive abundance and salt water is pretty like pretty key in anything you need to pickle as well as vinegars, but they didn't really have the technology or the access to vinegars. So what they do is they do a sugar cure. So if you actually do three parts sugar, one part salt, and you rub fish and then brine it, you can cure and basically make a version of smoked meat in a sense. So they'd do that, but they had honey because um, Vikings were beekeepers without it actually being a thing yet. Like, they knew how to harvest honey and use it for almost everything, especially meat, their honey wine. Would they keep bees, or would they just, like, raid beehives? Uh, it started out as raiding beehives, but eventually they learned kind of how to domesticate bees. Some they weirdo figured it out and was like, look, these stingy boys are fans. 
it wasn't so much that they just kind of figured out what flowers drew the bees in and they'd figure out how to kind of make it so they'd have hives nearby and then they i'm not sure how they were able to harvest the honey without getting stung i assume it was trial and error learning that smoke is what you need but you know the vikings were crafty i'm sure it didn't evade them for long true but yeah so most they were times smart when they would pickle things, they would get their brine all together, and then they'd put whatever it is in a uh, soapstone pot, and then they'd bury it in the sand and forget about it for a couple of days. And then they'd come back, and it was whatever they wanted all pickled and ready to go, and would last really long time. Like, you could, like, go through the winter months with your pickles, and you'd be good. Well, There's I mean, it's actual... full of electrolytes. Oh, probably. Um, there's actually a, uh, a dish called Hakarl. It's, uh, it's pickled shark, basically. They, uh, dry it out, and they leave it buried for, like, two weeks to pickle. And then it's safe for consumption, because otherwise the meat of this shark that they love to eat was poisonous, so... It's one of those uh, interesting times in history. It's like, who the fuck figured out that eating the shark one was poisonous? So, like, caught it. They all died. So they're like, hmm, can't do that. And some guy's like, but wait, what if we just bury it for, like, two weeks and come back and eat it? And people are like, I don't know, man. Like, it's poisonous. Probably shouldn't. He's like, hmm, I'm going to try it. Next thing you know, Dave's walking down the beach with his pickled shark, just taking some big old bites. And he's like, I feel great. What was it? Um, clams, oysters, and pickled earth shark. Yeah. Well, um, I would say these techniques definitely followed the merchant explorers and all of the settlers to the colonies, which helped sustain themselves, their settlers, the population and definitely kept hunger at bay but i will say this that vikings definitely did not give uh or discover pickling as that was the mesopotamians they discovered the very first iteration of pickling with lemon juice and dill you mean the proper way to pickle not the proper way i don't know man there's something wrong about sweet pickling I don't agree with it, but it's still pickling. It still works. Yeah. It's I mean, just if a... it works, it works. So it just when I think of pickles, I think dill and like garlic. It It is just the food that feeds the bacteria that basically pickles your food. But um, I would definitely say the Vikings definitely gave Europe a technique, like brought it to every corner of Europe and made it more common. Oh, absolutely. They made it so that it was widely available and became a practice that is also and very much used today and is uh, deeply either loved or hated by people. You either love pickled things or you despise them vehemently. Um, I will say this. um, Tacos definitely need pickled red onions on them. And I'll fight a motherfucker who says differently. You also like cabbage on your tacos i do well i mean it can vary i also like jicama true all right 
Is that everything? No, we're almost there. Okay. Um, Sorry, it so, just sounded like you were summing it up. I'm getting there. Uh, they didn't bring pickling to the world, but what they did bring to uh, a lot of people was feasting because of their feast holidays alongside their pagan traditionals and rituals. They would have massive parties, basically, every few months. And to sum it up, it was really their only social diversion, their period of respite from, like, the seasonal labors and the problems of the world. Their entire tribes would gather in the Grand Hall, share with each other their harvest, their catches, everything, each lost in their reverie. They're clinking their cups of mead and loud cheers of skull ringing out through the halls. A drinking horn being passed between neighbors for all to drink from. Coronavirus. Yeah, coronavirus, black plague. Um, None refusing the horn, though, unless they were sick or old, because it's seen as very rude or hostile. Because coronavirus. Because coronavirus. Um, These traditions would persist long after the Viking Age would end, but... The sentiments surrounding it would change wildly and be bastardized by the Christianity faith, like the Christian uh, movement. Uh, the feasts would become more grand and lavish and would only be reserved for nobles, royals, and any one of the upper echelons of the hierarchy, and the idea of community becoming nothing more than a faded memory. Which is kind of sad when you think about it, but we kind of brought it back, you know, with Thanksgiving and everything. I mean, not just Thanksgiving. I mean, feasts have exist, existed for centuries. It's a way oh, of I know. communities coming. I'm just saying it's coming. more commonplace now for the poorer people to be able to take part in them, though. Um, yeah, but I also think it's kind of like, you know, how in the uh, fact or fiction episode, um, we were, t- like, in my... In my segment, I was talking about Stone Soup, the book, or the myth. And the man came in, he was a poor man, he came into the village, um, and he said, I, you know, I make the best stone soup. And then eventually everybody, like, you know, this villager was like, well, I have potatoes I can contribute. And this other villager was like, well, I have carrots. Somebody was like, I have lamb. Another person, I had onions, so on and so forth, until... It was this big communal meal that came together, and even the poor would do that. They would, um, they would oh. come together and have meals together, of it, basically early iterations of potlucks. I I agree. I'm not saying they disappeared entirely. I'm just saying it became more and more uh, difficult for the poor to do things like that, and anything they could spare. Like some days they would, or like have a special occasion they would share for, but. You know, when you make very, very little and uh, you don't have enough food to even feed your family, it's kind of very few and far between for those kinds of things. Whereas the nobles, like, my son had his first shit in his nappies, so we're going to celebrate with a feast. And then a day later, it'd be like, he did it again. Let's have another one. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, so they kind of took the idea, ran with it, and just made it only for the high society. Well, even then, it still kind of is for the high society. It's some people never know their thing that struggle owes. Oh, absolutely. It hasn't gone away, but no. uh, it's just easier to uh, easier to access. 
But, um, to summarize, in a few short sentences, thanks to the Vikings' interference in the lives of the Europeans, they allowed Europe to enter the medieval dynasty. Their food, their culture, their technology, and their architecture helped spur the growth of new civilizations, gave rise to castles and forts, and encouraged mass feudalism, and allowed for people to spend less time working and more time doing scientific research and delve into the arts. And that's where we'll continue next episode with medieval Europe and how many different foods were to, di- were to be discovered and for them to give rise to the Renaissance. Hell yeah. Um, I'll also be doing a spooktober episode. Um, that'll be centered around um, basically Halloween facts and um, that are uh, obviously food related. Yeah, yes. I I didn't know if that was going to be a spoiler or anything, but uh, I thought I'd just let you guys know that uh, it will give... be food. No, that it will be food related. You did give me an idea, and I kind of want to look up the origin of. No, Pop you're Lots. not allowed. Oh, 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 oh! I thought you meant what I was going to talk about in my no, Spooktober no uh, episode. Like I feel like it came from feasting holidays, but like, Probably. where did potluck the word come the, from? The, How... The, etymo- the etymology of that yes. good sir. Things like that. I feel like that'd be a little interesting mini-sode. Ooh, I'm super down for our etymology episode. Ooh, woo, I, woo. Like, I'm definitely keen on that. To everyone out there, uh, if you enjoyed our podcast, don't be shy to share with your friends and family. And if you want to send us a message and just get in touch, you can drop us a line at trueprimepod at gmail.com. That's T-R-U-E-P-R-I-M-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. And you can share with us your interesting facts, things we may have missed, or things we may have straight up gotten wrong. We love to be corrected, and we'll fix anything, any mistakes we've made along also, the way. Also, follow us on Instagram at TruePrimePod. That's at T-R-U-E-P-R-I-M-E. P-O-D, just like our email without the gmail.com. Yeah, uh, you can f- see little glimpses and get updates of the cast and everything if you follow the Instagram. Yeah, uh, we'll make it a little bit more inclusive, and uh, we're currently right now it's just screenshots of the fact that the podcast is up and live but we will make it a little bit more inclusive is you if you guys are interested in us um um like visually recording this and posting it to um like things like the u of tubes um let us know Hit us up in the comments on the Instagramo, or uh, send us an emailio. And if you're uh, interested in delicious food, I'll start uh, posting all of the the things I make at work. Uh, he's an insanely talented chef. Like I am one lucky lady, and my belly is happy. And if you want help with cooking or, like, want recipes or ideas, you can also hit us up and I'll try my best to help you out. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, stay fresh and stay flavorful, my little blueberries. Have a wonderful evening. Stay safe and be kind to one another. Bye-bye. Bye-bye!